As I was reading that, I was like, wow, I don't think I've seen a sunrise in seven years. <laughs> I just, I don't get up early enough for that. I know, same. Episode of Romancing the Monsters. I'm M. I'm Seth. And this week we are talking about Shades of Darkness by Nikki James, which is a MM novel. It is the second book in the Trials of Fear series. It is a series of standalone. It's also our second MM book on here. That's correct as well. Uh, not, you know, the second one in my lifetime, but the second one on the podcast for sure. Um, and it's actually a series I've talked about before, though I, I can't seem to remember what episode it was. It was an episode where I think it might have been an Immortals After Dark book that dealt with mental health in some capacity. And I mentioned how much I love her books. Yes. And I think it must have been an early Immortals After Dark book. I wonder if it wasn't maybe Conrad. Or no, you know what it was? It was one of the girls has OCD. Right. It could have been Holly, Holly? or, Holly. yeah, it might have been Holly. And I was saying, like, if you're looking for books that have mental health, um, that talk about yeah. mental health in, you know, all sorts of of, of ways, uh, you know, some of them it's much more heavy, some of them it's kind of just sprinkled in, whatever. I was saying that Nikki James is the perfect author for that because she always has elements of that. And the Trials of Fear series is essentially, uh, I'm doing Seth's job right now. <laughs> I'll let you do the blurb. <laughs> No, but it's the, fine. The, Go ahead. the setup for the series essentially is that in each book you have a character who is fighting a um, phobia. It's severe phobias. You have, um, you know, a phobia of light in this case, a phobia of falling asleep, phobias of eating, phobias of whatever. It's it's really cool, yeah. and you learn tons about phobias that you never even thought could exist. Uh, but mm -hmm. mostly it focuses on how does said phobia affect someone's, uh, you know, work life, friendships, love life, social life, whatever it may be. And uh, yeah, so I'll let Saf go from there before <laughs> I just take over everything. No, it's fine. All right. So uh, we start off with a character named Rory who's living, but he's doing the bare minimum. Um, he works at home, only has one friend, um, doesn't really go out much. Um, and it's because he has heliophobia, which is basically a fear of the light from the sun and basically any light. But it's gotten to the point where he now cannot deal with artificial light, meaning like light inside the house. Um, and it causes him to have severe anxiety attacks and panic attacks. And because of his friend Crew, who also is his fuck buddy, um, he ends up convincing him to get counseling or therapy. Not therapy, because therapy isn't covered and it's too expensive for him. Um, and so he decides to get counseling. Enter Adrian, who is a freshly graduated uni student, university student, who's got a job as counselor and ends up being Rory's counselor. Um, 
And we find out that he needs money to move out of his student housing because his roommates are bullies and makes his life completely miserable. Um, and his parents aren't really, they're just ignoring his like cries for help and like wanting to move out and wanting to be out of that toxic environment. Um, so he takes it into his own, own hands and gets this job and works crazy hours like he's working in the night, which makes him the perfect counselor for Rory because he doesn't leave the house until the sun has set like completely and also he doesn't really leave the house so he would need a counselor at home and obviously Adrian makes that uh that move and uh ends up at his house and that's how our two two men meet and I don't know they yeah they just have an instant connection and like it just they sound great and like their chemistry was crazy and um but because of Rory's traumas um, and how, like, just how they were born and, like, how he's lived with them, it's kind of hard for him to speak about them. And also it causes for Adrian's own anxiety to kick in because he kind of feels like he's failing at his job. And Adrian is not someone that has a lot of self-confidence. And, like, so him seeing his first client kind of, like, shut down and not respond makes him kind of question his own quality and qualities and abilities um but that doesn't stop Rory from further pursuing him because he does feel a connection that that sorry a connection there that he hasn't felt with anyone else including crew um so he decides to close his file with Adrian's company and so that they can explore their budding relationship and their chemistry um, but yeah. And and, and that could sound problematic in the sense that like Rory is yeah. like, oh, fuck, you know, my treatments. I just would rather, you know, fuck you. <laughs> yeah, but that's not, not but, necessarily the case. Rory uh, isn't really getting any better. He's actually getting worse. But that before uh, Rory cancels his therapy sessions with Adrian he uh Adrian ends up going to visit a specialist who specializes in phobias like extreme phobias and um kind of has to convince Rory to pursue therapy with her I don't know where else to go with this without you know talking about the whole plot but it's just like their story together as well as their stories individually um their story of healing and yeah I I I'm not supposed to say I'm like I like it yet but I did like it (laughs) (laughs) well okay so what I wanted to say was that um even though it could sound problematic that Rory is like oh fuck this like I don't need this anyway blah blah blah. um it's important to know that like Adrian who knows how much he needs that is doesn't give up on like trying to find help and like he's I think by that point in the story, he's also, like, very aware that he's not the right person for Rory on that, like, side of things. Like, mm-hmm. he needs someone else yeah. to um, help him out. Um, yeah, so you started saying how much you like it. So tell me all the things. Because, okay, here's the thing. Like I said, I've read this book before. Yeah. Steph had not. So no. this was her first time reading it. So what did you think? I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very well-rounded story in terms of, like, characters and, like, character development. And, like, the romance was even good and angsty. And I just loved the characters. But I did feel like the bullying was really hard for me to read. And, like, it got to the point where, like, 
it made me like feel the pit in my stomach like made me like my anxiety kick in and it was just like it was really hard to read and like I kind of wish I knew how bad the bullying was in the story beforehand so I could mentally prepare myself. Because well, that's I feel like... my fault. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not necessarily I, your fault. I didn't fault. say anything. Well, I mean, I could have said something. I just didn't think about it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I don't know. I just found it, like, really hard to read to the point where, like, mm-hmm. I would put the book down and, like, not revisit it for a bit because, like, as soon as I think about it, I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I have to go back to that place in my mind. But overall, I really enjoyed the story. I just wish the bullying. But, like, I mean, we can't get away from bullying. It happens every day. It happens everywhere. It literally could be happening right now. probably is. And it's just, like, it's a sad situation. I thought you were going to say, like, it could literally be happening here right now. I was like, geez, have I been bullying you? (laughs) Is that what you're going to say? Outing me like that? No, I just mean it's always happening in our world. And... I can't, like, we can't just turn a blind eye to what's going on and, like, the extent of how awful it could be for some people. Well, it's interesting you say that because, well, this time around, I will admit, I had read the story, so I knew what was coming, um, and so it didn't, like, affect me as much as it did the first time from memory. Yeah. Um, But I will say that for me, I don't think it was ever the bullying um, that was anxious for me because it's never been something that affects me personally. Mm. Thankfully, I've never been a victim of bullying, so it's not like a theme that is triggering to me in any way. However, I will say that when I read this series the first time, the whole series, I ha- I am someone who has a phobia, though it's like a very common phobia mm-hmm. unless these like unlike these people and it's this phobia that I can, you know, manage. But I remember when I read the series the first time, it was triggering. Wow. In a, like seeing people like struggle with their own anxiety, um, I remember sometimes I had to step away from the books because yeah. it is well written on that front, like mm-hmm. how people experience anxiety. And here it's just Rory, but like throughout the series, it's experienced differently by all these characters. And and yeah, I remember being triggered by that. So. Yeah. So definitely keep that in mind, whether it's bullying or or anxiety or um, I mean, there are several uh, possible like trigger warnings throughout the series. Yeah. Trigger warnings abound. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So keep that in mind. If you're someone who you think you might be uh, sensitive to that type of stuff, then maybe this is not the series for you. Maybe wait till you're in a better headspace to read yes, it. Cause... I second that. Yeah. Um, and as far as whether or not I liked it, I yeah. mean, that's pretty obvious that I did. Um, <laughs> but I will say that I thoroughly enjoyed my reread. That's good. I'm not someone that likes to reread contemporary books yes. ever. And you also um, have been struggling with contemporary anyway. A lot. Yeah. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. It's, it's just there's something about Nikki James's writing that I just fall right into. Mm-hmm. Like she just pulls me in. And y- y- I don't know, like everyone has authors like that. Like I guess people call them like unicorns or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's kind of that for me. It's like whenever I start one of her stories, I just get pulled in and, and I just lose myself in it. And it's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so please never stop writing. <laughs> no, she writes really well. And Okay, so, like, when I read this, it felt like mm-hmm. a, a regular romance novel, you know? Like, some authors kind of just make, a, like, a, a gay romance very, like, 
sexual and like they mm. their sex like their sex very catered are towards the the female gaze wh- exactly wh- rather than towards like just making them people because that's what they are exactly and mm-hmm. um i see what you mean yeah and i just like it felt like a romance novel and it like some scenes were fade to black and you know some scenes were shown like they're obviously their first time was shown and like things like that mm. but like it wasn't every single scene and it wasn't like heightened you know like Fetishized. it wasn't like crass or it wasn't vulgar it was just Mm -hmm. like it honestly was just a romance novel at its core Mm -hmm. and I really appreciated that yeah she she's very good at letting people be people (laughs) essentially you know like and 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 that's very true like that's absolutely a fact that you know more and more women are writing mm but making it I guess that the only way to describe it is just catered towards the female gaze. And, mm-hmm. you know, people have opinions on that. I don't think that we are the right people to discuss that. No, to begin of course with, not. But it's, 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 it's interesting that you point that out because I hadn't actually noticed that until you just mentioned it. And I was oh. like, yeah, I can totally see, totally see what you mean by that. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a good thing. Um, all right. So. Yes. First thing I wanted to discuss, because you mentioned it in your blurb. One thing, well, first of all, can we talk about Crew for a minute? (laughs) How how did you like Crew? (laughs) I love Crew. He's the sweetest. The sweetest? That is not the word I would use for him. (laughs) Okay, no, I'm thinking about, you know, like that whole like situation that happened with Adrian at the school. That's when he was the mm-hmm. sweetest. And I fell in love with him then. And I need him to have his happily ever after. He's a great friend. He's the friend yes. that you want on your side. Yes. But I just fucking love Crew, man. Like, he is one of my favorite characters in this series. But, like, period. Like, in contemporary. Because obviously he comes back in the later books. This is, like, the first book where you meet him. But he's oh, okay. a definite presence. And he gets a book. Which, by the way, his book is, like, a daddy book. So... <laughs> But Crew is just so much fun. He is so much fun. He's so funny. He has no inhibitions. He's just, he is unapologetically himself. Exactly. And I love it. He's wild. He's flashy. He's fancy. He just, I love him to bits so much. This book made me want to reread his book because. I, I want to read his story too. So I might actually visit that. <laughs> and you know what? He stays true to himself. And actually, I remember um, messaging Nikki James um, after reading his book. And I was like, thanks for letting Crew stay uh, Crew, you know, Mm -hmm. even through his book. Like, there's there's things that he says. Like, I mean, I don't know if you noticed that. But at some point, he says um, that he's not into spankings. (laughs) Yeah. And I was so scared that she was going to go back on that. But no, like, Crew is not into that. And he sets his boundaries and he's like, this is who I am. This is what I like and this is what I don't like. And you're not going to go, you know, beyond that. And you know how much I love a good spanking in my Me book. too. I respect someone who respects himself and his like his likes and dislikes more. Yeah, I, that's, I guess, as much as I am sad that there's no spanking in his book, I am happy that he stays true to himself. There's plenty of other things, but that's his hard limit. (laughs) (laughs) What? Out of all things? Well, I mean, there's like daddy stuff and, you know. Okay. Stern brunch daddy, that energy, that's his book. So, 
you know. Yeah. Anyways, all this to say, to go from crew to a much more serious uh, topic, <laughs> to say that I really like how this book uh, demonstrates how you can have really good people in your life and sometimes they can unknowingly have a negative impact on your well-being. I know. I know. Uh, because obviously, you know, Crew started helping uh, Rory with, you know, chores that he found difficult and such. He says, and this is Rory that says that, he says, Before Crew, I wasn't as bothered by artificial lighting. Going to the store was uncomfortable but not debilitating. When I was given the option of allowing Crew to take on those harder chores, it had facilitated my decline. Without either of us realizing it, he'd enabled me to hide where I was most comfortable, in complete darkness. Moderately difficult situations became nearly impossible until I'd reached the point where I was at. I just think that that's so... That's that's a side of mental health that I feel like we forget about. Because, like, mm -hmm. yeah, you reach a point of being comfortable and if people facilitate your situation even more thinking that they're doing a good that they're helping you out they're actually enabling you to stay where it's the most comfortable whereas what you should be doing is getting outside of your comfort zone and yes. pushing yourself to you know re-enter society and you know break down your own ba barriers as opposed to reinforcing them yeah because when you see someone that you love in pain like your first instinct you is to go them. and help them and do whatever you can yeah. to lessen their burden and sadly in this case it like you said it, it enabled Rory to digress in his in everything basically for him in a similar way Crew is also the reason why Rory got help because we have like two really interesting perspective on the stigma around mental health in this book because you have Rory who doesn't trust people yeah. and doesn't want to open up to people and tell them how he is or, you know, what happened to him. And so he's reinforcing that sort of stigma because he says at one point... Um, I knew I was fucked up in the worst way, but ch chasing down help and begging doctors to do something was getting old. If the system didn't give a fuck about me, why should I give a fuck about me? Mm -hmm. um, and then on the flip side, you have Adrian, who is going through stuff as well. And he's trying to overcome this by opening up and telling people, but people are, again, because of this stigma, are being like, well, you're just being a child. Like, you should be the grown-up and not care what people say about you or do to you and blah, 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 which is awful. Exactly. Like, his own father tells him, like, grow up. Like, this should be happening when you're a kid. You're an adult now. Like, you need to grow some balls and, like... You know, it'll go away. And that's not the case. That will never happen. That would, like, ugh, his dad really angered me. How did you feel about how that was resolved? Like, ultimately, they got the nothing. dad being... Oh, you mean the dad? Yeah, like, the situation with the dad at the end. I mean, I like that it wasn't a perfect ending in the sense where, like, he doesn't automatically just become a supportive father. He's just like, okay, fine, you want... You want to live here? That's your choice. Here is your new apartment. Um, and, you know, and I guess he does later on meet Rory, but 
I don't know. I just, his dad was really irritating to me. And as well as the mother as well. She was more so enabling her husband's behavior. Yeah. And also just ignoring her son when he was like, mom, I need to talk to you. I met someone. She's like, oh, you know, our, you know, our, our cleaning lady is here. I got to go. You know, like. Well, I mean, I guess she she does take on like a more passive role. In she does, but then in turn, she enables her husband's behavior sure. as well yeah. as allowing the bullying mm-hmm. to continue. It's interesting, though, how Adrian sort of projects what he thinks his father thinks of him onto his father in a way. Like, yeah, sure, his father awful in some parts of this book and you know only thinks of himself and their family name and whatever yeah but it's interesting how Adrian thought that his father had something against him being gay whereas yeah yeah in the end his father's like yeah no that I don't care about that you know I just <laughs> I love the line where he's like at least he can't get you pregnant like I did with your mother <laughs> that is true I was yeah that was like a great great little little tidbit in there i like that because i feel like it'd be easy for that to be the issue so i like that the author is like you know what in the end it actually isn't like that's not the core of the issue it's really just his father is a little bit self-centered and wants his son to you know be happy but like his own version of what happiness means Be smart and graduate and become a doctor and yeah i mean like that's literally the dream of a lot of parents and a lot of parents kind of forget or ignore their children's emotions and what they're struggling with just to ensure that they complete school or complete their degree or whatever. And, like, you know, it's at the expense of their child's happiness, but they just see a degree in a high prestigious career and then they're like, yeah, you're set. So, I mean, does that make them evil? No. Not necessarily. I guess it's a a difference in perspective and like what you value over the other person and I think those I feel like oftentimes those issues do actually come from a place of like just wanting your kids to do better than you did yourself oh yeah wanting your kids to be more successful because you love them but it's the way you go about it right yes in this case it's all wrong and in this case you know some people don't understand that what they think is success means like success is not what success is to someone else you know for Adrian it's becoming a a, like not a doctor but like a practitioner I guess like a psychologist no (laughs) he still will be like a doctor like he still have like doctor whatever his last name is but I mean he's not gonna be a neurosurgeon like his father I will say I was kind of um I kind of wanted Rory's parents to make an appearance they do in the like last book where it's like a reunion book oh okay okay I just feel like he needed Mm -hmm. to tell his parents what he was like what was going on with him and I know he's stressed about not wanting them to worry and like not wanting them because they barely they don't have enough money to like fly to Toronto um Mm -hmm. which you know I love that it's set here Although Dewhurst is like a made up place, but it's fine, you know? I like the mention of U of T where, you know. I just like that it's set in a fictional uh, Canadian town. Yeah. Got yeah. That. So, like, I happens. could relate. <laughs> Anyways. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, it's our health system, you know? Like, yay. <laughs> they have a health card. <laughs> I went to the U of T that Adrian was like hating on. <laughs> 
but yeah, no, I really felt like for Rory to have like complete, not closure, but like, like the full beginnings of healing, he needed to also like have a support system, which is great. You know, he had um, Adrian and he also had crew, but I also feel like maybe having his parents there depending on, like, what their relationship was. Like, all I know was, like, what he said, you know? Like, we only really know what he said about his parents. Sometimes they seemed like great parents, sometimes not, and, like... I mean, I think they are great parents. It's just their situation is a lot more difficult than, like, Adrian's parents. That was actually one of my questions, like, how did you feel about how it ends? Because, to me, I actually love how it ends. I love yeah. that it's just the beginning. They're it only is. scratching the surface of the, the beginning of, of Rory's journey. Like, he... Uh, the, it ends with him going out in the, the, you know, very early morning sunlight for the first time and seeing a sunrise yeah. the, for the first time in seven years, which, as I was reading that, I was like, wow, I don't think I've seen a sunrise in seven years. <laughs> just i don't get up early enough for that <laughs> i know same um i mean the last time i probably saw one was like no because it, when i went to australia everyone else woke up in the house but me i was like uh-uh, i'm not waking up that early um so yeah no Girl, that's i would not wake up early for a sunrise in australia come on <laughs> i was just like sleep is more important like somehow the sunrise in australia is totally different than the sunrise here <laughs> Um, but no, I love how it ends. I love that it's there's so much left, you know, n- not wrapped up with a little, a little bow. Like yes. it's very much his journey is only beginning because your journey with anxiety is a journey. And God knows if there's an end to it. You know, it's kind of just a constant battle in most yeah. cases where you don't suddenly not have that phobia you only learn to control it and not let it control you exactly and for rory it's like he's not there yet at all um but i will say that you do for all characters i think you do see them you know continue on their journey in sort of the background um and then in that final book they're still not like completely you know, great and living a totally normal life, but you can see that all of them are, have, you know, are are well enough that they're now able to take steps forward with their lives. So like have mm-hmm. a baby, get married, whatever. Like they're finally able to do that, which they never even thought was possible for them, for most of them. Cause it's like, you know, that phobia was taking up so much of their lives that it's yeah. like, how can I even let someone enter this space which is definitely a theme with Rory because he's like I'll never know love I'll never know what it's like to have a boyfriend I'll never know this because how can I expect someone to live this life Mm -hmm. so all he had was but that wasn't necessarily his mentality at the beginning he was more so like I don't do relationships. I don't do that and that and that. And then as well, soon as like, yeah, but why do you think he was saying that? Oh, obviously, yeah, no, it's because of that. I mean, like maybe he doesn't think of that personally. Like maybe it's something that like he unconsciously is going through. Like he doesn't realize until later on. Um, but I did like going back to like you said that he's not completely obviously mm-hmm. phobia free, which he never will be. Um, I like that. Even it's just like a year has passed, and he still is like struggling with the idea of like going out in the sun which is why they went to see the sunrise but didn't even stay to see the full sun rise you know um yeah and it's a year and he's still like it's not something that like as an outsider you'd be like oh my gosh that's amazing such amazing growth 
But, like, for him, it's, like, massive. Like, it is, like, an important... Oh, it's a huge leap. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Yeah, and I I loved, I loved, I loved how it was handled. Yeah. I I was actually struck many times during this reread with how healthy this relationship is. In the sense that, like, you have... Rory, who is like your typical, stereotypical, closed off, doesn't trust no one, doesn't want to talk about his past. Like he's mm-hmm. a, your typical character like that. And yet the, the amount of times in this book, I was surprised that he was like, I don't want to talk about this. I don't feel comfortable talking about this, but I know I need to. Yeah. So he does. And yeah. I was like, oh, my God, this is this is what that character would usually not do. They'd be like, oh, I know I need to talk about this, but I don't want to. And can, okay, can we just talk about Adrian and Rory's kind of first session and like Rory was like, oh, my gosh, I need to smoke. And then he starts smoking and poor Adrian has asthma and like he starts wheezy. I love that scene <laughs> so much. The me first too. time it gave me so many angst butterflies because I was like, oh, no. Oh no, Paul Adrian is about to die <laughs> on the floor. And then Rory's like, why the fuck did you not tell me that this could like literally kill you? Yeah. And Adrian be- just being like, I didn't think it was professional. <laughs> like, this is your house. <laughs> it's so, so great. And uh, then obviously, like, throughout the story, Rory's like, oh my God, I can't smoke anymore. Or like, yeah, he I have absolutely quit. makes a point of like not smoking around Adrian or like he tries to stop and. Yeah, I also love the bit where it's like the the new um, what's her name, Doctor something. She's in like every book, so I should probably remember her name. So like her his new um, she's actually a psychiatrist. So um, she says because he's trying to stop smoking, and she says like you can't ask yourself to do both things at the same time. Like that could actually be dangerous more so than helpful. So, like, it's you're better off not trying to stop smoking right now and just focusing on your phobia. And once that's, you know, under control, then you can try and remove another thing from your life. Because yeah. he was smoking to cope with his anxiety. Like, oftentimes in the book, every time he starts feeling stressed, he pulls out a cigarette and yeah. starts smoking. Yeah. Which, weirdly enough, another thing I noticed upon this reread, I was like... I'm pretty sure, like, this was written by someone who has been around smokers before because the amount of details surrounding him smoking, I was really surprised. Because, like, in some books, it's like, oh, the bad boy pulls out a cigarette and then the cigarette is not present for the rest of the scene. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh, he just pulled it out to, you know, look cool because the author was like, oh, yeah, that's sexy. Um, Which, smoking is not sexy, people. It is. No, it is not. Speaking from a girl who actually has asthma, who would be in Adrian's spot, like, it's not. (laughs) I will say it's sexy uh, only if it's fictional. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But I was like, the the amount of detail, like Rory, he's like moving with the cigarette and it's constantly mentioned. And I was like, wow, I I never noticed how much cigarettes just disappear in books until now. Yeah. I'm sorry. Speaking of Rory and his journey to healing... How did yeah. you feel about it being for someone else and, like, for something else and not for himself? Because, basically, he was coerced by a crew first and then Adrian to get help um, and want to get better because he wanted he wanted Adrian and he wanted that relationship with Adrian. And, like, that was kind of his turning point 
of actually pursuing the psychiatrist and like actually mm-hmm. pushing himself to do better. And it also later on, like we didn't really talk about it, but like he is willing to face the sun's like the sun light, I guess mm-hmm. you could say for Adrian. Um, yeah. How did you feel about that? I think, well, usually this is something that we like to point out when people, you know, take steps forward for someone else. But in this case, I don't know what exactly is different for me. It's almost like if it wasn't for Aiden, uh, Aiden, Adrian, he, Aiden. I don't think he'd be capable of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think for some people, it, it's they reach such a low point that they just need something to pull themselves up because by themselves, for themselves, they wouldn't be able to, like, they're not mentally capable of, of being like, yeah, I'm doing this for myself. Yeah. So they need that something to look forward to, you know, that something to work towards. Yeah. Which in this case is like this, the possibility of this relationship. I, I, I do think he does it for himself as well. Like he, at the beginning, not, but. Towards the end, I do think it's for himself, especially after we learn about, like, the whole story, how he came to have this phobia and um, the fact that the the guys that did it, that did it to him um, ended up in prison, but then, you know, got out because uh, of good, good behavior, behavior I think. like, in eight months. And he's saying, he says, like, meanwhile, I am a prisoner. You know, yeah. like, I'm a prisoner to my own house. I can't go out. I'm a prisoner to the darkness. He even says at some point, and I love that quote, because he was like, the the day that this happened, I lost color. Like, yeah. he just, he doesn't know color anymore. He's He hasn't seen it, you know? I don't know. I liked the, the imagery of, like, the people that d- did that to him are, you know, free. They're just roaming free, having a normal life, and then the person that lived through this trauma is still trapped, you know, technically uh, yeah. free, but trapped. It's just like, okay, for like we said numerous times on this podcast, like I'm a firm believer of changing yourself for yourself and wanting better for yourself um, and not for someone else because I don't think it would, you know, stick or, you know, you could end up hating that person. But I feel like in the case of this story and these characters – it was kind of like love was the push to heal himself, you know? Like, he saw what he was missing, and he saw what he could have in his life if he were to heal and to get better and manage his phobia. And, like, I don't know. It's just, I like that it was, like, he still saw what he was missing in his life. It wasn't for someone. It was more so, like, so he could be that person that, you know, Adrian needed. Um yeah, I don't know. I just like I like how it was dealt with and I and I thought that if Adrian wasn't really in his life, would he have gotten better? Would he have like, you know, sought the means to get better? I don't know. I think Adrian was that push that he needed, I think, to become better. <laughs> no, yeah, agreed. It's like Yeah. How can you expect someone to heal when they don't have a purpose in life anymore? Yeah, and, like, usually you want to be a better person for, like, I don't know, when you find your significant other, and these characters both deserve it. Like, both Rory and Adrian were struggling mentally and physically, and they both grew together, and, like, yeah, sure, Rory's growth was more extensive, but, you know, Adrian was going through a lot, too, and, like, both growths were really impactful. Can we talk about the conference scene? (laughs) 
Okay. That is the moment in the book where, at least upon my reread, I was like, oh no, I know what's coming. I know what's coming. I kind of <laughs> felt something was coming. Was coming. Oh yeah, I remember that the first time I read it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the setup of the scene was um, Rory and Adrian gets like, I don't want to say caught, but like they end up meeting the roommates on the street and Rory mm-hmm. ends up confronting the main one Calvin Calvin whatever the fuck his name is and um you know like he kind of like aggravates him makes him angry and so they decide so Calvin and is it Devin I don't know what the other one's name is anyways so they decide to break his lock and I kind of was like okay so are we following up with the lock Dylan sorry Dylan Dylan. Hmm. okay um yeah, so I was trying to, like, figure out how that's going to happen. And then um, basically what happens later on in the story is Adrian decides to buy, um, you know. A dildo. Yeah, a dildo. Like a toy. Yeah, because um, Rory introduced him to his prostate, which love that. Yeah, him. I loved it. Um, and anyways, I knew something was happening because it was a fade to black scene. Like, oh, is that what gave it off? Yeah, I was like, wait, so like they're not gonna show what what's going on here, and then like, yeah, because it wasn't a private moment, which is why we didn't see it <laughs> until later on. Well, I don't know if if that's what that was, or if that kind of connects to what you were saying earlier on about like the fact that she doesn't just fetishizes like what's going on, like you know, like that okay. was his private moment with in- himself. I don't know. It could be either either of those things. Yeah. It could be both, you yeah. know? <laughs> um, but anyway, so that what does that lead to, Saf? Oh, you want me to say it? Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so Adrian is so excited. He's got this big presentation. He's won all these awards because he's an amazing student, an amazing boy. Not boy. He's, like, two years younger than me. Amazing guy. And basically what happens is... Rory obviously cannot attend the presentation, gets a call from bitch-ass Marcus, and Marcus is like, you gotta stop the presentation. Marcus is the other bully. He's more of a passive bully, but we'll talk about him just now. And he's like, you gotta stop the presentation, and then Rory is like, like, are you dumb? No. And then anyways, what happens is Marcus sends Rory a video of, you know... What's gonna be shown on screen that... Adrian doesn't know about and it's the video of Adrian um playing with his his new toy yeah and it's a very private moment uh Rory only watches like a minute of it and then he's like okay this is not like for me like I'm not meant to be seeing this this is a very private moment yeah. and I should respect that but then he's like he freaks out and he calls crew because ladies and gents <laughs> Rory couldn't be there but he wanted to surprise Adrian so he sent crew of all people <laughs> to record the conference so that he could see Adrian's talk which I was just like oh my god I'm dying a little bit inside so then he's, like, calling crew, panic, like, crew, you have to stop this, blah, blah, blah. And, like, by the time that crew realizes what he's saying, well, the thing is already playing uh, for the entirety of the audience. I know. And his parents were there. The, I'm pretty sure the dean was there. Other professors, high school students. Obviously, no matter what, you don't want anything like that to be shown, let alone at a presentation. And it, like, it just, like, breaks Adrian. 
Like, it's just, like, it was so heartbreaking to see. Obviously, he runs away crying, and, like, crew goes after him and, like, tries to get him out of there. And he, all he just wants to do is see Rory, and then they can't get a hold of Rory because what was Rory doing, Marge? Because Rory, in his panic, just ran outside. I know. <laughs> in the sunlight. Because he loves this man so much that he forgot himself, you know? And he obviously uh, didn't go very far, had a complete panic attack out on the streets. A man found him, you know, got him inside. The police came. Uh, then Adrian and crew came, came back and everyone had to explain why Rory is the way that he is. Um, which, again, interesting that, like, obviously the first assumption is, like, oh, this man is doing drugs, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> Instead of, like, no, there's actually more in life that could cause this sort of panic attack. Yeah. But that's, <laughs> you know, part of the stigma as well. Uh, anyways, it was, ugh, that scene, man, like, your heart just falls into the bottom, like, the pit of your stomach. That was a scene that really, it really hit me. Like, it was just... The extent that these bullies would go, you know, just to ensure that Adrian is humiliated or, like, loses his, like, prestigious, I don't know, honor. I don't even know what mm. they were hoping for him to lose. I think it was more so to humiliate him. No, I mean, they him. tried to make him lose his job at the very beginning. At the beginning, is- yeah. So, basically, at the beginning, if you didn't read the book, what they do is they punch holes in a beer can and replace his lunch with this broken beer can and like obviously he's at Rory's house for the first time his first client and his first day on the job and obviously he smells like try a brewery. to pass him off as like a drunk yeah and how heartbreaking is that like this poor kid that's trying to get money to like move out and leave you guys Ugh. anyways it just really hurt like I just like I felt so bad for Adrian and I felt bad for Rory when we found out what actually happened to him and like what he went through yeah <sighs> Yeah. Can I just mention, though, that after the whole conference thing, when they come back and Adrian finds uh, Rory in his closet and, like, Rory's crying for Adrian. Yeah. My heart. My heart. He's just like, I'm so sorry. Because <laughs> it's just so sad. Because, like, leading up to that scene, you know how well, nervous. Well, he knew how much, yeah, how Adrian, much you wanted this. Yeah, and how nervous he was and, like, how he's like, I'm going to yeah. mess this up. And, like, Adri- uh, sorry, Rory was like, no, you're going to, like, do amazing. Like, your speech is amazing. Like, you're just going to do really good. And, like, obviously he was hyped up. He was excited. And then all of a sudden, the stupid video shows. And then you're like, oh, shit. It was just heartbreaking. And I just, like, it felt like such a real scene. Like, it honestly felt like I was watching it happen in real time like I honestly felt like I was seeing it like you know when you like get into a book and like you kind of yeah you like you don't see words anymore you just see the the scene that's what I was seeing oh that isn't that the best feeling though when you you stop realizing that your eyes are reading lines yeah you're just fully imagining it but not for this traumatic scene I was like like, I'm telling you, man, I was I was dying. My heart was beating too quickly. I was sweating. And I was like, oh, my gosh, someone get Adrian out. Like, I knew what was happening when crew was like, oh, my gosh, Rory, I got to call you back. And I'm like, no. And anyways, that was me. <laughs> I do love, though. I mean, love is kind of a weird word to uh, use in this case. But I appreciate the way that Nikki James was like, all right, this is going to be a bully story. Well, not like bully as in like a bully romance, but like someone who is, you know, going through bullying. Yeah. Um, And that she didn't just go for 
oh, it will be like physical bullying, you know, like they'll beat him up or something. No. Like it's much more subtle than that, but it shows just how hurtful even subtle bullying can be. Because like technically there's no physical har- arming, harming, but it's like he could have lost his job. He was doing this great uh, talk in front of high school students that, you know, he was really excited for. That got taken away from him real fast. Yeah. You know, it's like all these little things. They they took his laptop, put a virus on it. Like, it's his just, clothes. Yeah. Like, they put a red panty in it from, like, obviously one of their, like, women that they sleep with. And, like, they just ruined all of his white clothes. And, like, he obviously, like, is heartbroken but he doesn't do anything about it because he keeps saying that if you show a reaction they're just gonna get worse and then one day also his own bed he didn't even have his own bedroom yeah people were having sex in his bed like things like that where it's your privacy your belongings mean nothing to these people yeah and it just shows how even little actions like that that seem somewhat insignificant sometimes they too work towards crumbling someone like someone's what's the word i'm looking for self-worth self-esteem yeah self self-esteem is the word i was looking for you know like all of that works towards that mm-hmm. and t- to the point where where he's just like yeah i better not just do anything about this because this is just gonna make them angrier but how did you feel about that like it was like adrian's willful ignorance to his bullying and like he kind of I like th- I don't think he's ignorant. To he's it. not ignorant, but I guess he ignored it. Like not ig- he tried to ignore it. Like he knew it was happening, but he would just bend his head and continue to live there because he felt like he had no other option. But like he had he could have went to campus police, went to student housing. He had other options, but I felt like because of like his father hammering in like image matters, like my name matters and like he had an outlet with Rory. I just, like, I don't know. I don't think so, though. I think his story is very parallel to Rory's because why, how did Rory end up where he ended up? Because yeah. he, at that age, was still hoping that someone would like him for who he is, I that can't. someone would befriend him and be honest and just be his friend and not his bully for once. So Rory was at the same place and look what happened but it's kind of like we're just gonna keep on believing that that's possible for us because we don't want to believe that yeah no no one's ever gonna like you and so obviously after the fact rory is like you have to do something you have to like that i think that's where rory's protectiveness comes through it's like i've been there i i see what you're doing and that's not gonna help you out because look what happened to me exactly they're just gonna work towards bigger and bigger and bigger things until there's nothing left of you exactly and speaking of the bullies how did you feel about marcus i felt like we had a lot to say but we didn't say it yet in the chat so how did you feel about marcus so when we when we you and i talked about him a little bit um i wasn't quite done with the book at the time Mm -hmm. So I was kind of like some things I had like forgotten. I have ambiguous feelings towards Marcus because his silence is compliant. Makes him just yeah, it, <laughs> it makes him just as much of a bully as the other ones yeah. because he could have stepped in and he chose not to. Mm-hmm. Adrian says at one point he didn't but probably because he's trying to save himself, which is yeah. a fair thing to say. 
And on the other hand, I'm like, when he did have something to do, he did do it in the end. You know, he he fully supported what Adrian was saying. He was like, yep, that's all very true. Everything that they did, which, by the way, those fucking guys only got off with um, a slap on the wrist. Yeah. Okay. so I see what you're saying, but I have zero empathy for him because not only did he just stand by and ignore things that were going on? Or he just stood by and actually watched it happen. Mm-hmm. He had allowed it to continue. Sorry, he allowed for it to continue. And he fully knew about the camera for weeks. You know, he knew True. the camera was in that room for weeks. Not once did he tell Adrian, um, there might be something in your room. Can you, like, check around a bit? Not once did he, like, actually go in and take out the camera. Not once did he ever stand up for Adrian or, like, even, you know, talk to him he just basically said just move out why aren't you moving out you know like you can leave that's all he ever said like rory's like fully says like you know well first adrian is like maybe he isn't as bad as the others and rory's like no he actually is worse like he's just complying with everything that's going on and like i guess we could argue we don't know what he was going through we don't know where he was mentally blah 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 but like at the end of the day adrian was scared to even leave his room to go eat there were days he would go by not eating. And Marcus was a part of that. Not once did he have an ally in Marcus. True. But like you said, we also don't know what Marcus's past was. Maybe he was bullied at some point, And that's just the way that he protects himself is like, I'm just not going to step in. It's not worth it. It's for my own safety. I Again, I'm not... I don't really have empathy for him either. I'm just trying to see like both sides because I'm thinking like, surely it's more complex than that. I'm like, no, Marcus is a no. I I mean, I'm like you. It's like I see one side and I also very much see the other side where it's like, you could have said something that would have been helpful. You could have been a friend to him. You know, that too would have made it a little bit easier to bear probably yeah or even if he didn't want to confront adrian and be like there's a camera in your room he literally could have like left him a note slid him under slid it under his door he could have been the one to go unplug the fucking computer himself instead of calling the boyfriend yeah i mean that maybe might be asking too much of him because he's gonna actually be confronting people if it like if he was you know a victim of bullying or like a victim of something else that happened to him we don't know what happened we don't know anything about Marcus um just like t- like alerting Adrian of what was going on I think could have been something that he could have done but anyways that's my thoughts on him and I you know could care less about him so Marge what do you think the monster of the story is uh well I feel like we mentioned most of them uh but i do think that probably the overarching one for me is really just the stigma around mental health period Mm -hmm. um because it should not be this difficult for people to that need help to find help um you know it's mentioned how um psychologists are not reimbursed by the government but psychiatrists are which is like i don't know i could go on a whole tangent on if it's you know if you have if your doctor says that you need this then it should be reimbursed it's for your health and so therefore it should be reimbursed anyways but just mental health under like all like everything that it could mean so whether it's adrian or rory or whoever it is you know like i just 
feel like this stigma is so heavy. And to this day, I don't think that we address it enough. Yeah. And I totally agree with that. And that was one of my monsters too. I just feel like no matter what, that mental health stigma, I feel like will always be there. And I hope our generation like breaks down those barriers and breaks down those, I guess, those mentalities Mm -hmm. that, you know, that reinforce that. And like, you could argue, obviously, that like, it's a learned behavior, because obviously, you learn it from your parents and so on. And like, you learn to like, kind of scorn people with mental health issues well I actually I feel like we live in a society of like self-care which which I love in many ways well yes here's the thing though I feel like self-care oftentimes is like a placeholder thing to do little things that make you happy temporarily which is okay. However, the overarching problem here is that that cannot replace you getting actual help if you need it. And so self-care to me should mean, yeah, sure, do your little mask and your reading session and your whatever it may be. But if you actually need help, self-care means going out and and getting that Mm -hmm. help, whether it's for your body, your mind, whatever it may be. Go and get that help. Don't try to fix it with doing little things that are only ever going to be temporary. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, but I feel like our society is a lot more vocal about getting help mentally, like getting therapy, um, you know, speaking to a, a, a life coach or a life counselor or whatever. And I just feel like it's more vocal, like it's more public, like it's more publicized, I would say. Yeah, but it's not, it's not more inexpensive. That, which means yeah. that too often people don't actually, they know that they need help, but they don't get that it. That is true. Because <laughs> they can't. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Okay, so I looked at, um, so I, ha- like that was one monster, but we already covered that. But like, I also looked at like the bullying and like one of the monsters I felt was society. Because society also facilitates the behavior of bullies and, like, you know, like, the constant saying, like, boys will be boys or, like, you know, it's fine, like, it's just going to happen, like, you just need to get stronger, like, you need to, like, be able to, like, have thicker skin to just ignore and, like, move forward. And it's never, like, you know what, you need to stop doing that or you need to stop being an asshole. (laughs) Like, if you think about it... Cole, which is Rory's bully that, you know, gave him third degree burns, only got like eight months in jail for aggravated assault, despite Rory almost dying. And like, like you said, Adrian's bullies only got a slap on the wrist and literally goes about life normally. Like, how does that make sense? That was like years and years of torment for Rory. That was years and years of torment for Adrian. He was living with them for four years. And like, instead of these monsters actually paying for like the crimes that they've committed, and seeing the wrong in their actions, like, there's no, like, re- like rehabilitation, like, there's no, like, learning the betterment, like, learning to better yourself, there's nothing there, like, I just feel like, like, I don't know, do you think it was because, like, the victims are gay, and, like, do you think it's because, like, they're considered a minority, or, like, I don't know, I just feel like bullying like this happens- In part, but not fully. I think I think society is very good at narrowing down who is different, whether it's that or anything else, really. Like, the second that... I think for Rory, yeah, sure, but also, he's a ginger. I don't know why society hates yeah. gingers so much. And also, 
he also um, came from a poor neighborhood. So not only was he gay, he, did. he was obviously, mm-hmm. you know, didn't have the means. A redhead and poor. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Adrian, obviously, he's white, but he also was like Mr. Rich Boy. And you would think nerdy. he'd have the perfect life. But actually, no, he's been bullied because I guess his roommates picked up he's gay, like calling him by a woman's name and like... I don't know. I just feel like, like you said, society just, like, singles out the minority, singles out the people that are different, and it's just, like, it's awful, and it, I don't know. This book wasn't so far off from reality. But you know what's really vile, actually? At least for me, what was the most vile about what they did to Rory was the fact that Cole used rory's sexuality against him he knew about that and he used that and it started off as like a makeout sesh in the sand or whatever and it turned into that i know him being burnt like yeah third degree so rory thought it was lube and that he was rubbing all over his skin but it was just tanning oil and obviously since rory's a ginger his skin is pale and can get burnt and it obviously got burnt really badly for him to have third degree burns and that's heartbreaking because all he wanted was friends we're friends well, it, exactly isn't it heartbreaking how during that he was saying he like he was recalling how he's he was telling himself like oh my god am i like is cole interested in me like are we gonna and he was fine with it i mean he was drunk <laughs> to begin but with how did he get that drunk they kept forcing him well, because drinks. everyone kept drinking. Yeah, and no, yeah. I think it was Cole who kept giving him doubles of everything. Yeah, that's and true. so that's he true, literally actually. got to the point where he was knocked out, and like, I just heart, and you just hear like I'm saying like you just hear them laughing in the background, but I mean like in my head like <laughs> we were there. You hear like <laughs> the other so-called friends there just laughing, and like while Cole is rubbing yeah. him down with tanning oil, and it's just like. That's, like, not even, like, there's so many other warning signs that lead up to this trip to the Dominican. Like, them constantly daring Rory to do things and laughing about it. And, like, it's just, like, heartbreaking that he was so, like, wanting of friends that, like, it got to that point. And society helped to shape those bullies. Of course. Like, just the idea of bullies. Like, why do they exist? And Yeah. You know, how can we even stop? those people from existing well i mean to be honest if my kid was cole i'd literally throw the whole child out <laughs> but you say that but would you you know yeah. what I mean? like they do have parents i mean first of all first of all i would never let my child reach to that level i would hope with my love and my way of parenting and like what i know of the world that i would grow a child up to not be a bully, but a person that fights against bullies. Like, I pray that I am able to do that. Sure. And I think that's everyone, unfortunately. That's not everyone. There's this... That is not everyone. Okay, okay. But there is this thing where it's like the mentality of the group mentality. You know, you don't know how your child, who who he's going to end up with, and what kind of mentality is going to be garnered by that group. And even the best of kids can end up, you know, calling the little girl in his class names because everyone else is doing it and he just wants to fit in. You know, like Throw that's, the kid that's out. just the issue. Throw the kid of out. The whole kid. Yeah. Garbage. There's a dumpster right there. 
<laughs> I just, I think it's easy to say like, oh yeah, if I did that, it'd be different. Would it? Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't be. You know, it's just sometimes the circumstances, the people that you end up with, the friends that you end up with, the life that you live, where you live, whatever. I agree. Like it's to an extent. I just feel like bullying and like hating on someone and like playing on their insecurities is a learned behavior. I'm not saying I'm having a child anytime soon, but if I were to have one, I would hope that my teachings and like what I've brought in our relationship would help deter them from like those crowds and like those behaviors. I don't know. I mean, like you said, it's good to say it now, but you don't know until you're actually in that situation. But I will say a lot of the bullies are... We'll come back to this conversation in like 10 years. <laughs> yeah, we'll continue this discussion then. <laughs> <laughs> when we're much older and have a bunch of kids. But I, I am standing by throwing my whole child out. <laughs> Throw it out. If your child was cold... Honestly, Marge, you're telling me you wouldn't throw it out? <laughs> I mean, of course I want to say that I would. But the truth is, it's your fucking child. You know what I mean? No, like, it's not. That child is not mine if they're leaving someone to be burnt to a crisp in the sun. Seth, there, there are people on Earth whose child has committed murder. And they probably still love their child. I mean, I guess because I'm not a mother, I, I can never, ever speak on that until well, I am. Exactly. So it's easy to say like, oh, yeah, I, I, you know, but the truth is, I think love is a lot more, a lot more complex than that. I'm still throwing out the child. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, future child of Seth. <laughs> you better be good or else your mama's just throwing you out. <laughs> All right. Well, is this it? Well, on that note. Like, I feel like your Southern accent just, like, comes out. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this was not as depressing as it could have been. So, good for us. No, it, it wasn't. <laughs> um, And, I mean, I'm now really wanting to reread Crew's book and a couple other books in the series. I cannot recommend it enough, guys. Like, if you read MM and you like mental health in your books. And realistic portrayals of mental health, I would say. Sure. Also, angst. She does angst very well yes. and very often in her books. Um, they're just, they're great. It's not, you know, written in a complicated way. It's just easy to read, but but complex enough. You know what I mean? Where it's, and well-developed characters, I will say. Yeah. Her characters are very multifaceted and, like, well-rounded. I really enjoyed her characters. Yeah. They, I, I, I find that they are... They, they kind of come alive on the page, yes. which can't be said for every character, you know. But, like, people like Crew, geez, that man is bigger than the book itself. You know what I mean? Like, the book cannot... Contain him. <laughs> Contain him. Now I want to go find Bottoms Up in Dewhurst, Ontario, wherever that may be, and visit him. Anywho, um, so that's it. Hope you'll go out there and read the book if you can or if you're interested. If not, um, throw your whole child away. They're a bully. Kidding. Not kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. We're throwing you out. Kidding. <laughs> uh, okay. So that's it for today. Thanks for joining us uh, to talk about Shades of Darkness by Nikki James. I hope you enjoyed the episode at least. Uh, if you have anything you would like to add or tell us or anything really, you can find us online um, on Twitter. We are the RTM Pod on Instagram. It is Romancing the Monsters Podcast. 
as well as on Gmail, which is romancingthemonsterspodcast at gmail.com. I said that really weird. <laughs> Um, we also have a TikTok, which is Romancing the Monsters Pod. And you know what that we never mention? We have a YouTube account. You can find us on YouTube. Right. If you search Romancing the Monsters Podcast, I guess we're probably going to pop up somehow. Um, so if yeah. you prefer that format, we're also on there. Um, and you can also find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Foes and Lovers. And you can find me, Saf, on both Instagram and Twitter at Pros with Woes. See you next week. Bye. Bye.